Um, if, hello, Harvest. Uh, if you are new with us today, uh, we want to welcome you again and th say thank you. thank you for joining us. We're so blessed that you're here. Um, you heard Sister Min talk about house church or Wednesday night prayer meetings, things like that. If you are interested in how do I get plugged into any of those things, please talk to uh, one of our greeters and they'll connect you with somebody that can uh, help you, you know, find out a little bit more of what, what that's about. Um, uh, we are currently, uh, our Pastor DL is again on, on sabbatical for about seven Sundays. He'll be gone. We are, this is the third Sunday into that sabbatical. And so um, I, I hope you're ready this morning, you guys. I hope you're ready to be blessed. Um, I know maybe we say, this is something that we say before every guest preacher comes in, but I think unashamedly I'll say it again. You know, I hope you're ready to be blessed today. Um, our guest speaker today, Pastor Marcio Pacheco, comes to us from uh, First Baptist Church of Windermere. Um, his family was unable to join us today, but um, wife Stephanie, uh, twin boys, seven-year-olds, Gabriel and Isaiah, daughter, four-year-old, uh, Madeline. And so um, it's a funny story of how uh, he and Pastor Dale met. Pastor Dale, when he, when he told us that it just, you know, his friend was going to come and, and preach for us, um, we, you know, I heard the story this morning about how they actually met. And so uh, at Starbucks, they would just see each other at Starbucks a lot. And I guess pastors had this inner, like, they know when there's another pastor. So they had this, like, pastor eye connection kind of thing going on. And so they, you know, just, just in the course of seeing each other at Starbucks a lot, um, they kind of just started talking and became friends. And so um, that's how, in many ways, how Pastor Marcio is here. And so I will say uh, Pastor Marcio um, has a hit factor that probably parallels, even surpasses that of Pastor Daniel, okay? And I, I, I'll even go as far as to say, if you feel like your shot is on today, go ahead and challenge him to pig later on and see what happens to you. Uh, with that. But uh, with that, let's uh, uh, give a hand to the Lord as we welcome uh, Pastor Marcio. Thanks. Awesome. So uh, anyways, I uh, met your pastor at Starbucks because that's what pastors do. People think we don't work much um, or at all, but we do. We just off-site most of the time at like a Starbucks. And so I met him and then we began became friends, and I am so privileged to be here. And I, can I just say something? He told me about this community and how you guys have a passion for the world, a passion for the world to see Jesus. And I love looking at your bulletins and seeing how your small groups are split up by places in the world. Can I just say how honored I am to see such a community that just loves Jesus that much? And that's where you clap because it's awesome that you guys love Jesus that much. So privileged to be here. And so, you know, this, I, I, get to, I get to share uh, this sermon with you, which I'm excited about. And I don't know about you, but has anyone here ever had a moment in your life where you offended somebody else in some shape, way, or form, whatever it was, and instead of dealing with it, you just concealed it, you kind of kept it hidden, you, you just didn't want to address it? So what ended up happening, there was like this barrier between you and the person for a while. Is anybody, can anybody relate to that? That's where we all raise our hand because everybody can. It's universal. We've all offended people. We've all had that moment where we rather suppress our feelings. We rather bury something. We rather conceal it instead of dealing with it. And actually, that's the core idea for our Sunday morning is you don't want to conceal, don't feel. You don't want to conceal, don't feel. You don't want to do that. You, you, want to, you want to open up and allow God to do his work in you. So when I was 16 years old, 
uh, my mom went out of town, and it was during the Halloween weekend. So Halloween fell on a Saturday, and so the 31st on the Saturday, and the 30th was on a Friday. And so mom was out of town, and it was just me alone at the house. So I decided to invite five, uh, 10 friends over, actually, 10 friends on Friday. And then 15 showed up. And I'm like, oh, okay. But things went well. Everything was manageable. 15 people, all I, everybody I knew, everything was fine. But I got a little bit more courageous. And so on Saturday, I decided, you know what? I'm going to invite 15 friends. Well, 15 quickly turned to 50. And things became unmanageable. Bad night. Things got crazy. The next morning, I woke up. I couldn't make it to church. I had to call this lady and say, hey, I can't make it. Don't feel well. All this stuff. I had to clean up my house. And my mom was coming home on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, she came, and you know what I said to myself? I'm just going to conceal. I'm not going to deal with this. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to bury what happened in the weekend, and I'm just going to bury it. Leave it alone. So my mom is at the house now, and, well, things were just started to get awkward because of the barrier. Things just started to feel very weird, and it was really me. Because I was the one that violated her trust. I was the one that abused the privilege of being home alone. I was the one that wronged my mom. And what ended up happening was I started uh, acting differently. You know, like I wouldn't make eye contact. So I'd say, hi, mom. Bye, mom. Everything was like, keep my head down. When I ate dinner, I would just keep my head down and eat quick. Eat quick and go into my room. I would not talk to her. I would even try to be extra good. I anticipated chores and things to do. I cleaned the house without her even asking. I was diligent with all of the stuff I needed to do, all because I did not want to have a conversation with my mom. And really what I felt was that my mom was behind this barrier, and we couldn't talk. I mean, you know, we could talk, but there was an emotional disconnect. You know, I couldn't have this connection with my mom because she was behind a barrier that I created. So, I couldn't handle it anymore. Several days later, I said, you know what, I have to go address this with her. So I went to her and I said, Mom, listen, I messed up. When you were gone, I threw a party two days in a row, blah, 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 blah. And you know what she told me? She's like, I already knew. The neighbors ratted you out, you know? I was like, gosh. And I'm the one freaking out about this. I'm the one losing my lid. I'm the one creating the distance. And my mom said, why didn't you just come and talk to me? Why didn't you just come sooner? Now, did I have to do my consequences of throwing a house party? Yes. But the interesting thing that happened is, see, as soon as I approached my mom, she opened the separation between us. There wasn't distance. There wasn't proximity. There wasn't awkwardness anymore. There was a relationship. And my soul began to feel healthy again. See, when we have a relationship with God, what ends up happening is When we wrong God, when we wrong others, when we sin, 
what we, what we have to do is we have to acknowledge it. And we know that. We have to confess it. We have to mourn over the fact that I've wronged God, I've wronged others, and I've wronged myself, and I did this wrong, and I have to acknowledge it. If not, I'm the one creating distance between God. I'm the one creating a separation between God and what, who ends up hurting the most is you, your soul. The part of you that gives you life, the part of you that gives you creativity, the part of you that makes you feel so close to God. See, Jesus has this brief little teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew chapter 5. And in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he has something called the Beatitudes. And so I want to read one of our Beatitudes, and and it's this. You can find this in Matthew 5. It says this, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who mourn, for they will. And I love that word will. If, you have, if you're taking notes on your phone or whatever, circle the word will, write a little parentheses on it, and say that's 100% guaranteed. It's not a maybe. He didn't say you might. No, he said you will be comforted. And the word bless right there, it's actually the word means happy. Now, it's not like, an, like a happiness that we think about like, oh, based on what our external circumstances could provide us. No, this is a happiness that comes as a result of a relationship with Jesus, which it, it's constantly in you. It, it has this endless stream of God's joy, of God's happiness, of God's love, of God's goodness flowing from within, giving your soul life. That's what that word blessed means. And then here's this weird paradox, this odd experience that we have to go through. Jesus says, you have to mourn, you have to mourn, then you'll be comforted. You have to go through some experience of acknowledging, hey, I don't like the separation between me and God. I, you know what, what I did actually makes me feel bad. My soul is hurting And once you mourn and acknowledge it, then something happens and you'll be comforted. Like the barrier is gone. Leads us to our first point, which is this. You're blessed if, if you mourn. Now that's the thing. The word, the key word there is if. If. See, you have to come to this point. Where you have to decide, God, I have wronged you. I am wrong in this particular situation in life. I'm the one that did this. And, hey, can can we talk about it? Can you comfort my soul? Because I I guarantee to you that any of you, myself included, if we don't deal with sin in our lives, if we don't mourn, meaning acknowledge it, not live in the season of mourning, because as a Christ follower, we don't live in mourning. We live in joy. We live in, we live in the fact that Jesus restored us. I mean, some of these song, the songs we just sang, we stand faultless before his throne. We acknowledge our sin and move on to the grace and power and comfort that Jesus gives us. We don't live in it, but we have to acknowledge it. And the key word there, once again, is if. Because you don't have to choose to do it. Which leads us to our second point. If you conceal, you don't feel. If you conceal, you don't feel. Now, that's, that's really interesting. 
If you conceal, you won't feel. And if you harbor or hold or just say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that wrong. I'm not going to try to reconcile it before God. I'm, I'm just going to try to hide it and maybe God will ignore it. What ends up happening is that in your soul, you start to lose feeling. You start to lose sensitivity to sin. That's where things get dangerous. Now, to kind of help you understand this, how many of you have ever seen the movie Frozen? If you have a young daughter, you've seen the movie Frozen. And it's a story of Anna, right, and Elsa. We know this. There's also a ride in Epcot, very famous, right? And Elsa wrongs her sister Anna, and then there's a separation that happens between the sisters, and it causes tension throughout the movie. Now, if you don't remember this, I'm going to help you remember with our DJ, Mr. James, in the back. And I do need 100% participation. Mr. James, please. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Everybody, everybody, you know. Well, now they know. Here we go, here we go. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back. All right, thank you so much. You guys remember now, right? Come on, now you remember that part of the movie. And, and, and even though that song is like the number one anthem for any young girl be, between the ages of two and seven, if you really consider what she's saying, she, she doesn't want to have to deal with the issue. And she thinks she could just let it go and it not bother her, but what does it do? It caused tremendous tension between her and her family. There's a story in the Bible of a guy who concealed, and it's about King David. Now, King David is the second king of Israel. And King David is known in the Bible as like the, 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 the person who loved God the most. Now, if there was a guy you would say who loved God the most in the Bible, most people would say King David. He was just the poster child for loving God. I mean, Paul even says that he was a man after God's own heart. David was special. He wrote half of the Psalms, or most of the Psalms. I mean, it's impressive when you, when you consider who this guy is, but he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. And there's one of them he can find in 2 Samuel 11. The story starts with when kings are supposed to be at war. And then he goes to David, and he didn't go. He stayed home. And for some reason, the architectural layout of his kingdom allowed him from his balcony to look right into one of his friend's bathroom. Because the Bible says that, you, that he sees from his balcony Bathsheba, one of his friends, Uriah's wife, bathing. Well, David goes and tells a servant, say, hey, man, I want, I want you to bring over to my house. So the servant goes, brings over, and David sleeps with her. Now, in the Christian culture, some people believe that Bathsheba is this promiscuous woman. I'd like to believe differently. I think she's actually a victim. A victim of an abuse of power. Because David was king, and if she didn't, if she didn't go with him, if she didn't do what he asked, man, he could kill her, and he could kill her husband, and wipe out her entire family. This woman was a victim. Well, what ends up happening is she, uh, she gets pregnant. 
She goes to King David. David, I'm, I'm pregnant. What, what are we going to do? See, remember, see when, you, when you conceal your sin and you don't deal with it with God, you begin to be more numb to more sin. And it almost creates this snowball effect of poor decision-making. So what David does, he says, you know what? I'm going to go call my friend Joab, who's the commander-in-chief of the army, and I'm going to have him send over Uriah. And I'll try to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, so then you know what? More concealment, I won't have to deal with it. And so Uriah comes, and Uriah, and David tries to have Uriah sleep with his own wife, and Uriah says, no, 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 no. I can't even go into my house because I have men who are fighting for my country, for our king, for our Lord, and I can't even fathom relaxing right now where my men are at war. Now David's in a, in a little conundrum. What do I do? This guy won't relax because he's too honorable. So what do we do? David says, you know what? I just got to kill him. I got to kill him. Now, it's drastic, isn't it? It's kind of crazy what you think about, but in your own life, what is so interesting is that when you take, when you conceal sin, you step into a darker, 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 darker place, and you become numb to the things you do. David got so numb, he had one of his good friends murdered. Not just him, about a hundred other guys, because he sends a letter and gives it to Uriah to tell Joab, Joab, bring up Uriah up to the front. And not just him, but all these other people, just send them in this and do this horrible military strategy, get a hundred people killed just to get one man killed. And what ends up happening? Uriah dies. David marries Bathsheba. He thinks everything's good. Now, for about six months to a year, things are going good. Because, see, when you conceal sin, what you try to do, you try to do good things, good things, and you try to keep yourself busy, maybe being a good dad. And I loved how you said that. You said, you know, even in our own minds when we think we have a good plan, a good career, everything's going good, that might not be God's plan. I loved how you said that. Because you'll try to be a good dad, a good wife, a good husband, uh, good kids, and, and you'll have a good career. You just be busy at work. You, you donate. You come to church. You give. You tithe. You serve. You, you do whatever the church asks, and you stay busy, stay busy, stay busy. But the whole time, you just conceal your sin. You don't want to have to deal with it. So you just keep it there because if you don't feel, then you don't have to deal with it. And you think God is good with it. But see... If you conceal, you won't feel. Let me tell you what, God doesn't want your soul to be numb. So you have two choices. Either you willingly go and tell God, I have wronged you, I have wronged other people. Jesus, what is the process you want to do? And when you're ready, God is going to open, open your soul up to him. And you're going to feel his comfort and embrace see, there's another option, which I hope none of you take, but David did. He decided, you know what? Mm -mm. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to do anything. So in 2 Samuel 12, God initiates. God calls his friend Nathan, who is a pastor friend of David's, to come and visit David. because, And it's interesting that the Bible said that Nathan came to visit David. That means David probably took a little break from church. Took a little break from small group. 
Because deep inside, see, when you don't feel you know there's something wrong with your soul, you don't connect with the people that are close to God. It's kind of like what, David, what, what, what Paul writes in Corinthians when it says, you know what, when you're living in the way of Jesus, you have a smell about you. You have an aroma about you that gives life. But to some other people, it smells like death. So David couldn't be around them. So then what ended up happening? Nathan came to him and said, hey, David, can I tell you a story since you haven't been around church in a while? I can tell you a story. There was a guy in your kingdom, a very wealthy guy with all the sheep, flock, lambs, everything. He had a friend come over, and then he wanted to cook a meal for his friend. And instead of killing off one of his own animals, he decided to go to his next-door neighbor who was this guy, a really nice family guy. He has a wife, three kids. And he has a little lamb. And this baby lamb hung out with the family, ate with the family, slept with the family. There's family pictures with the baby lamb. Everything they have, hashtag baby lamb. It's everything. This, this lamb was in every single picture of this, this family had. But this rich guy said, you know, I want to take that lamb. And so the rich guy took this guy's lamb from his family and gave it to the guy, slaughtered it for the party. Well, when David heard this story, David was like, you have got to be kidding me. Find me that dude, and he's going to have to pay back ten times as much. We're gonna, you know what? We're going to liquidate his business, give it all to this guy. And immediately Nathan said, David, guess what? You're that guy. Mic drop. That's what that was. David was just like, oh, my gosh. And immediately, you could read there in 2 Samuel 12, David says, I have sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. What was I thinking? God intervened. God didn't want David's soul to be broken anymore. God didn't want David's soul to just be in constant state of mourning. And so in Psalm 32... David reflects on this period of his life. And this is what he writes in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. He says this, When I refuse to confess my sin, when I refuse to mourn, when I refuse to deal with it, when I concealed it and I didn't want to feel it, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. See, he's talking about what's con the condition of his heart, the condition of his soul. Externally, the, you know, Israel was booming. Everything was going great. The economy was going good. His life was going good. The NASDAQ and the Dow Jones in Jerusalem was skyrocketing. The social programs for the poor, everything was going great. The middle class were increasing. Listen, business was booming. But in his soul, he was dying. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. And that's the thing. You know God is trying to draw you. He's trying to call you back. But it feels so heavy. And your soul is, oh, look what he says here. My strength, my soul, my heart, what was in here that mattered most, evaporated like water in the summer heat. Evaporated, gone. The very thing that brought David life wasn't in him anymore because he walked away from his source. But look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says there, finally, I love that word, finally, about time, 
I realize, and he's, remember, he's reflecting, and I could just imagine him right now smiling when he was writing the word, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Oh, then what did he experience? Forgiveness. What did he experience? His guilt was gone. He experienced comfort for his soul. See, he understood something about God's character, that God's slow to, slow to anger, but quick to love, quick to be compassionate, quick to forgive. And I love how he said the word guilt was used time, because you know what guilt tries to do to you? Guilt tries to lie to you. Guilt tries to reverse everything God is trying to tell you. Guilt is trying to slow you down. Guilt will make you think you're making progress when you're really not. Guilt will begin to lie to you about who God is. You'll begin to think that God is all about punishment and all about wrath and all about, you know, making sure you don't enjoy life. That's what guilt does. But then Jesus comes in very quietly. And here's the thing is that the separation that we cause between God because of our sin, nothing in this world could remedy it. Nothing could remove the curtain except the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And what David felt was God's grace. I love what the Apostle Paul says because it reminds me of this, and it's in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and it's this. It says, and here's, here's, what David, here's what David understood that Paul is saying, and is this, is it, and this includes you who were once far away from God. See, this includes you. See, Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians. These were uh, believers people who gave their life to Jesus. And he says, this includes you who were once far away. That means the people once, at one point in their lives, they were distant from God. Now, if you're a Christ follower in this room, do you remember that season of your life where you were distant from God? Do you remember that season in your life when you were far away from God? How did your soul feel? What was it like? What was some of the darkness you felt in that moment? Not knowing that your soul was, 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 how did you feel when your soul wasn't close to God? Like, you actually have a reference point. Like, you know how dark that place was. And, and, and Paul is saying, do you remember when this happened to you? You were actually an enemy of God. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You were distant from God, and nothing in your own power could bridge that gap, could make that wall go away. But I love this. Go to the next verse, please. This. And this is actually leads us to our third point. We're going to go to our third point, which is this. God's solution is comfort. You write that down in your notes. God's solution is comfort, and this is it right here. Now, watch what the verse says. It says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. If you wonder why Jesus died and why he had to die, he had to die so that this wall of separation would be gone. Because the moment you say yes to Jesus and you walk closer to Jesus and you try to break through this wall, you can't. But the moment you say yes to him, the moment you cry out to him, acknowledge your sin, mourn over the separation between you and God, Jesus just goes and just says, you know what, you're right. I, I want to be close to you. And by the way, 
you know what? I want to be so close to you that nothing will ever close this back. This is permanently open. You and I are permanently going to be together. Permanently. Because in Romans 8, what does it say? It says nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Didn't it say that? No, no power in earth or in the heavens above. No authority in any realm could separate you from God's love. And now Jesus is saying, hey, the moment you acknowledge your sin, the comfort you receive is my presence. And then the guilt you had is now gone because what I'm telling you is this, and I love what Paul writes. As a result of what Jesus did, he has brought you, God has brought you into his own presence. Now you're close to God. You have proximity with God. You have nearness with God. You're resting in his arms. And then then this is whispered into your ear from your almighty Father. He says this, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Just like that song, Cornerstone, faultless to stand before your throne. Man, you are holy, blameless, loved, and faultless because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing that no matter what your sin is, when you decide to walk towards Jesus, he grabs you like, finally, I've been wanting to hang out with you for so long. You know, are, are you ready to talk? Good, good, good. Come here, come here. And, and you might not even have the courage to get near him, but he'll be like, come here, come here, come here. Let me get you. Come on, come on. Let's talk. Hey, hey, hey. Tell me what happened. Let's talk about it. Oh, let me remind you who you are, though. And you're going to say, Jesus, you know, I'm a loser. I did this, um, did that. There's no way you want to want me back. How can I even move forward in life? And Jesus just grabs you and says, hey, hey, um, I just want to let you know who you are. You're holy. You're faultless. You're blameless. You're loved. But, but Jesus, did you see what I did? Yeah, I saw what you did. Do you know what I did? Did you? Did you see what I did? But Jesus, you know who I am? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You're holy. You're blameless. You're loved. And you're faultless. Faultless to stand before the throne. Like in Hebrews, it says, now because of Jesus, you have confidence to approach the throne of God boldly because of Jesus. To experience the comfort your soul needs, Jesus calls you to him. And that morning soon becomes comfort, but you got to acknowledge that. You know, Jesus says that uh, if we have faith like a child, we'll receive the kingdom of God. It's funny what you could learn from kids. Like uh, Eugene said, I have uh, twin seven-year-old boys and a four-year-old little girl in Madeline who got me hooked on Frozen. Um, loves uh, to come sleep in our bed. And if you have a little four-year-old girl, you know what this is like, right? You, you put him to bed. You put her to bed wherever she goes. And then somehow in the middle of the night, she wakes up. You know what this is like. And Madeline, she wakes up. And her soul is vexed. Her soul is in anguish. Her soul is not comforted. Because she can't go back to sleep. 
So she looks at her brothers who are on their bunk beds, and she could easily maybe think to herself, hey, I could probably jump into bed with Gabriel or Isaiah, but that doesn't work because that doesn't comfort my soul. See, this little four-year-old gets a lot. She's very intuitive, like most four-year-olds are. They listen. They're very sensitive to what goes on in their hearts. And she could go to our roommate's room, but she knows that my, no, no, she, she, she can't comfort me. So my little four-year-old, Madeline, she will walk downstairs in the dark with seeing little pockets of light. She gets to the bottom of the stairs. She knows she has to make her right through the kitchen. Passes the kitchen and goes into our bedroom and walks into our room and slides herself right in between Stephanie and I. And you know what's interesting? She doesn't really, she, she doesn't like wake me up to say, hey, Dad, I need you to do this. Hey, I need you to do this. Hey, I need you to do this. She doesn't say, hey, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, because all she needed, all she recognized she needed was what? Our presence. Our presence. Our presence stuck between mom and dad brought her peace stuck between mom or dad gave her comfort stuck between mom and dad kept her safe stuck between mom and dad increased her love for us stuck between mom and dad she knew who she is in our family she doesn't ask permission she doesn't need permission to come into bed with us to experience our love, to experience our comfort. She has access to that. And this morning, God wants to remind some of you, hey, you're loved, you're holy, you're blameless, you're faultless. You're loved, you're holy, you're blameless, you're faultless. Yeah, deal with your sin. Talk to me about it. Come to me. Talk to me about it. Experience my grace. Experience my forgiveness. Yes, and then let's move on because I got stuff for you to do. And when you acknowledge that you're, you're holy, you're loved, you're blameless, you're faultless, you walk around confident in Jesus. You walk around knowing that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for you. You walk around knowing, wow, God, I can now step into the life you have for me because I am holy, I am faultless, I am loved, I am blameless. blameless. Man, that's, that's joy. That is being blessed. That's walking around with some happiness, isn't it? So this morning, I'm just going to pray, and it's going to be a simple prayer, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to finish off some songs. But I want you to walk out here energized by your relationship with Jesus, encouraged by your relationship with Jesus, energized by your relationship with Jesus, excited about your relationship with Jesus because there's no more barrier and you get to walk around holy, blameless, loved, and faultless. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, because of you, Jesus, we walk around knowing that we're loved, that we're holy, that we're blameless, that we're faultless. Because of you, we don't have to mourn and deal with guilt. But as soon as we acknowledge our sin, our ways, our, era, our, our errors, you comfort us. And then you, not only do you comfort us, you step, you step in and say, now, live the life I've called you to live with my power inside. 
So in the name of Jesus, I just pray that right now, everybody in this room just says this through these simple words, these simple words, Jesus, comfort me. Jesus, comfort me. If you're hurting this morning, if you walked away from God, if, you're, if you've been concealing, all he needs to know is those three simple words. Jesus, comfort me. And you're going to experience this comfort. If you're walking with Jesus and things are going great, remember this day. Remember those three words. Jesus, comfort me. Because that's what he promises to do. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for your comfort. Thank you for calling us holy. Thank you for calling us blameless. Thank you for calling us loved. 